Thank you, Danny. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you again to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. As you know, we started a couple of weeks ago uh, the book of Proverbs, and uh, we, uh, we finished uh, basically a, a very solid introduction to the book of Proverbs. I think it's very important to understand what the book of Proverbs is all about uh, before you try to get into it. Uh, we now have defined for you the two main components that uh, make this book uh, really what it really all is. And it really forms the theme of the book, uh, Proverbs. We've talked about a wise man and defined a wise man, and we talked about last week a foolish man, and we defined uh, a fool. The book of Proverbs takes these two men, and by comparison and contrast, and you know, you've heard me teach that many, many times, that those are two great words in the Bible, uh, comparison and contrast, uh, and to show you the key to a successful, to a successful life. We have looked at now, and you should fully understand that uh, we've talked about this many, many times, but it really comes home uh, when you study the book of Proverbs, and that is the fact that life is about the choices that we make. It's about the choices we make, and it's also about the people and the influences and the circumstances that we allow in our lives that will either help you or will hurt you. We have defined for you a wise man. Remember, I gave you uh, the nine things that make up a wise man. And then last week, we defined for you a foolish man. Uh, and the warning and the lessons are very clear. And the book of Proverbs uh, in the first seven chapters uh, really hits this home. And as does to stay away from the one, that would be the fool, and to embrace the other, that's a wise man. One of the greatest truths in life that uh, I, I ever learned uh, is simply that you will be who you associate with. Negative people will make you negative. Uh, people who are positive will make you positive. And it's just that simple. Now, the book of Proverbs will do for you what no other book in the Bible will do. And I think this is what really sets it apart. It not only tells you what a wise man is and a foolish man is, but the book of Proverbs goes a step beyond that. The book of Proverbs defines wisdom for you itself. Not just showing you the qualities of a wise man, which we already looked at, but it really dissects the concept of the word wisdom. And it shows you and me what makes wisdom really wisdom. And it'll actually show you the components that make up uh, what we call wisdom itself. Not a wise man, but wisdom. And I think that's very important. Now, I want to begin reading today in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And uh, here's what it says. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtly to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, Father, today to take the Word of God and to open up our hearts and to show us uh, the great things that you have here in this great book. Lord, these are good people, and most of them, I, I believe, want to do what God wants them to do with their life. They all have issues. We all have circumstances we have to work through and work around. 
Help us and show us today how that Proverbs makes that possible. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For sake we ask it. Amen. Now, the first thing I want you to see here, and this is before we even get into uh, defining what wisdom is, is that I want you to look at the format here that I use in training you all the time. I try to keep our church, I try to keep uh, everything uh, that we do as close to the Bible as, as humanly possible. And uh, the Bible's filled with procedures. The Bible's filled with format that you'll want to follow. But if you look at chapter 1 there, you'll see, you'll see exactly the same uh, format that I use all the time in trying to train you and get you to the place where uh, you can really be used of God. First thing it says in verse 2 is to know. The second thing I want you to see in verse 3 is to receive. You see, that's really important, and that's what I try to tell you all the time. You have to come to the place where you first know uh, what God wants you to do. You have to come to the point in your life where you know what the Bible is. And uh, you do that around here by coming on Sunday morning, coming Thursday night, and the one-on-one or the specialty things that we do. And you come away understanding, uh, and you come away knowing uh, the, the things that God wants you to know. But you know what? That's not enough. It's one thing to know the Word of God, but it's something else to receive it into your own life. And that's the second thing he says here, to receive. You, it isn't... It, 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 it won't solve your problems just recognizing that the Bible is the Word of God. It won't solve your problems by understanding that the Word of God is, is everything in your life that you need. Uh, what you have to do is receive it. The Bible says over there in uh, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, uh, for when you receive the Word of God, 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, for when you receive the Word of God, you receive the Word of God. You received it not as the Word of men. But as it is in truth, the Word of God. It's one thing to know the Bible is the Word of God. Something else to receive it into your life. Now, those are two formats that I teach you, and those are inwardly. Those are the things you have to do inside you. You have to know what the Bible is, know what it's all about, and then you have to receive it. And then the third thing that you find in verse 4 is to give. That's outwardly. Once you take it in, you have to do something with it. That's the basic format that I, that I teach you. I tell you and teach you the Bible and give you everything that I can about it to help you and bring you where you need to be. But at some point, you have to take what you have received and you have to give it to somebody else. When you do that, when you do that, and of course you do that by ministry, you do that by getting to the point where you, like you're going to do this afternoon, go out to restart, like some of you are doing when you're working at Turnaround, or in the people that you're working with through the people ministry or whatever. But through that process of knowing what the Word of God is, through the process of receiving it, and then the process of giving it out, verse 6, you get understanding. I tell you all the time that the greatest teacher that you'll ever have is working with people. The greatest teacher that will ever be in your life outside the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God will be the Holy Spirit of God taking what you have put inside you and when you give it to somebody else, teaching and training you by that process. So we see that. We see that in the very opening uh, verses of the book of Proverbs. Now in this passage, I'm going to show you today 10 principles that define uh, what wisdom is. Not defining a wise man. We've already done that. I'm going to show you 10 principles today that define wisdom. And they're found in this passage right here. Uh, these 10 areas is what you get in your life when you get God's wisdom. 
and it only comes from recognizing and understanding and receiving the book of Proverbs. And I want to talk today and look at today wisdom defined for you. And uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 will be the definitive passage on, on wisdom. Now, in the Bible, there are many good examples of a wise man. There's many good examples of foolish men. Uh, but these two uh, always come to my mind when I think of the wisdom of God. When somebody brings up the wisdom or knowledge or wisdom of God or being a wise man, these two men automatically pop into my mind. And I know there's many of them, but these two stick in my mind all the time. The first one will be a story of, of the birth of Christ uh, at his first coming. And we know that to be Matthew chapter 2, and it's really the whole chapter, uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 1 through 23. And the Bible says that when Christ, around the time that Christ was born, three wise men shown up. Those three wise men have always been an incredible study for me. And, uh, you know, and I wouldn't argue with somebody. Somebody challenged at one time and said, well, there could have been more. They could have been. The reason why they, they call it the three wise men is basically because of the three gifts that was listed. But you know what, uh, it's, it's immaterial. They could have been more. But uh, the Bible talks about these, three, these wise men and the three gifts that they brought. The Bible says they were wise men from the East. And that, it, it amazes me. It always amazes me that the fact that these guys knew exactly where Christ was to be born. I mean, God had departed from Israel 400 years in 606 B.C., he left Israel, and Israel got into the times of the Gentiles, and, and God forsook Israel. And yet, 400 years later, there's no revelation from God to man during that 400 years, other than what God already wrote in the Old Testament. And these men studied the Old Testament. The Bible calls them wise men because they obviously used the Old Testament uh, to figure out and find out exactly where and when Christ uh, would be born and where to go to look for him as Israel's Messiah. I think the three gifts are amazing. If you go back in there, you'll find that those three gifts they, they give you, I think that's amazing. Christ has three offices. And uh, he's a king, he's a priest, and he's a prophet. The only other man in the Bible that has all three of those offices is David. But Christ holds those three offices, and yet when these men come, they bring three gifts that in the Bible represent those three offices. Now, how do they know that? They bring him gold, and gold represents the king. They bring him frankincense. That represents his priesthood. And it brings them mirth. That represents the fact that he's a prophet. Now, how did they know that? Here they are over there in the east somewhere around Babylon, and yet when they, they knew almost exactly where he, when he would be born, they went to the exact city. Do you know how many cities was in around that area in that particular time? But there was thousands of them. How did they know to go to that city? How did they know out of 400 years they picked one year? And how did they know to bring the three gifts that would match up to his three offices? Well, it's, it's, it's the Bible. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 18, we told you that he needed to bring gold for a king. Uh, Exodus chapter 30, verses 14, would tell you that frankincense was for a priest. And uh, Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 5, would tell you that mirth was for a prophet. They got it all out of the Scriptures. The Bible says they're from the east. Now, remember, that's out around Babylon area, and that's where Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. And it would have been clear 
to these men if they were studying the Bible, and obviously they were, that Daniel 9 would give them the exact year he was born. Daniel 9 tells them, Daniel's 70th week, it tells anybody who's paying attention and reading it, in the year Christ would be born. Numbers chapter 14, verse 17, they were obviously were studying that, would tell them that there was a star that was going to be associated with this king. So they follow the star. Uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, long before Christ was ever born, he was foretold that he would be born, uh, that he would be in Bethlehem. So they go to Bethlehem. You know, everything is there. He gave, God gave them everything that they needed. And uh, it always amazed me that every, and, and you know, when you look at that, here's three wise men that found him. But really what amazes me that every Jew, every Jew that was alive at the first coming of Christ had access to the same information that they had. Every Jew in Jerusalem, every Jew in Judea, every Jew around that area, anywhere, had the exact same material that these guys had. How come only three guys found him? How come the parking lot wasn't full? The answer is that Israel's a fool. The answer is that Israel has rejected God and his word and has missed his coming. Now, I, I, I like parallels in the Bible. I think parallels are crucial to see something that happened in the Bible that applies to us. And when I look at this, I see the exact same thing today. We have all the information on Christ's second coming, plus a whole lot more. We got the complete Bible. Yet only a few wise men today will read his word and find the keys to the successful Christian life looking toward the Lord's coming. You know, my prediction is based on Bible formula in the repetitives of history. Uh, just as the nation of Israel missed the first coming of Christ, I believe the body of Christ is going to miss the second coming of Christ. We are going to get caught unaware where one day when you get up and you go out there to do your own thing again, to go do what you want to do, you're going to find smack dab right in the middle of the rapture of the church and find yourself standing before the Lord. And the Bible says you should know the times and the seasons. Problem is, just, just as the nation of Israel were fools, Christianity is fools today. It is. And uh, the two greatest events in history that are a key to the whole world events, all history before Christ points to his birth. So we call it B.C., before Christ. All history after his birth points to the second coming and is called A.D., which means in Latin, the year of the Lord, showing you that every year after his birth could be the year that he comes. And 99% of God's people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, and in the New Testament, the body of Christ today, they're going to miss the greatest event in history, the second coming of Christ. Both of them had all the material that they needed, but they were fools. Now, the second great example to me is Daniel and the Hebrew children found in the book of Daniel itself. You want to turn over to Daniel chapter 1 here for just a second. Now, that's the east, by the way, where these guys came from. Now, you know the story of Daniel and Daniel chapter 1, and I'm not going to bring you through it again. You know that uh, the times of the uh, Babylonian captivity has taken place. You know that the times of the Gentiles have started. And uh, you know that the devil uh, is going to try to destroy the line of Christ. These young men here, Daniel and the boys, the Bible tells us they're of no blemish. They're the princes of Israel. They're of the king's seed. Every one of them's in the line of Christ. And you know what the king wants to do. He wants to integrate them into the ways of Babylon. So he goes into a process of feeding them all the garbage and slop of Babylon. 
He changes their name. He goes through all of those things. But the great role model here of, for Daniel for us is, and I talk about this all the time, is Daniel's simply smarter than the problem. He tells the king, let us eat our own food. Don't give us. You want us to be like you. You like the fact that I can interpret dreams and all that. I'll tell you what. Give us 10 days. We'll eat what we want, pulse and water, both a type of the word of God, by the way. And uh, you let the best of your kingdom eat what you have for them. And at the end of 10 days, you set us side by side and let's see who's better. Daniel chapter 1. Let's look at it. Verse 17 through 20. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he would bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Haniah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them, here it is, ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Now you see that? God gave them, verse 17, knowledge. God gave them learning. God gave them wisdom. God gave them understanding. And then the Bible says that God gave them skill. Now that's the ability to use all of the things above that he gave him. And the Bible says they were ten times better than anything that Babylon or the world had to offer. You know, in the Bible, the number ten is a number of the Gentiles. Everything in that Bible connected. The gospel goes to the Gentile in, 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 in Acts chapter 10. You find in, uh, in Romans chapter 10. Uh, it, it all connected. The first Gentile kingdom is in Genesis 10. The last Gentile kingdom in the Bible is represented by ten toes. And, and it, it all ties together. You know, number 10 is a, is, a, is a standard that is set even in life. I remember back, I remember back when, uh, I can't think of her name now, um, uh, Bo uh, Jackson. No, that was a guy. Derrick. Bo Derrick, yeah. She made a famous movie. Anybody know what the name of it was? Yeah. 10. And from that point on, a beautiful woman uh, is a 10. We talk about it all the time. All right, tell me on a scale one to Ten, see? We talk about everything in that concept, everything. And uh, everything, uh, uh, we, everything that we talk about, we use it as a standard. I want to tell you something. Every Christian should be a ten. Every Christian should be a ten. My job is simple. My job, I mean, it's not simple, but in concept it's simple. My job is to make you ten times better than the world system. It's just that simple. When we talk about wisdom, the wisdom of God, uh, uh, when we talk about what wisdom is, biblical wisdom is found in 10 qualities that you find in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And these 10 qualities of wisdom are what made Daniel and his friends 10 times smarter than all the kingdom of Babylon and all the magicians and all the astrologers. And when you decide in your life, and life is choices, when you decide to make God's wisdom your wisdom and get these 10 things down and get them in your life, and get these 10 things working for you, you're going to be 10 times smarter than the world. That's the way it works. 
When you look at those 10 Hebrew children, those Hebrew children over there, it says they were 10 times smarter. When you come in through Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 6 and 7, you find 10 attributes of wisdom that when you have them in your life makes you 10 times smarter than the world. That's the way it is. It's just the way that it is. And David said it best in Psalms 119, verses 97 and 104. He said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all today. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancient, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgment, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. This is one of the greatest things that I'm going to show you today that you're ever going to get out of the Bible that will change your life from this day forward. And in your life, everybody here, if you're going to ever do something for God, if you're ever going to be something for God, you're going to go along for a while and you're going to bang up against uh, all kinds of circumstances and situations. You're going to come to church. You're going to get in the Bible. You'll get discipled. You'll have some issues you got to work through. Obviously, some of God's people never get through their issues. But for some of you, there'll come a point in your life. There'll come a point in your life where God flips that switch. There'll come a point in your life where you're never going to look back. There'll come a point in your life where the Bible now is going to be everything to you, and it doesn't matter who, what, where, or when. Nothing is going to take precedence in your life over that Bible. I was thinking about that as I wrote this down. For me, it was April of 1972. I had just come back, gotten right with God. My father had passed away, and I, God had struggled with some things, and, and God had really began to work in my heart and bring me to the place uh, and change my life. And I remember sitting in church that night, and, uh, and I, wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I wanted to be what God wanted me to be. I was tired of the way it went. I wanted that time in my life. The Bible looked like a, an incredible hard book to me, and I'll never forget the man that preached that night was Dr. Peter S. Ruckman. This was back in 1972. I still have the original cassette. It's all yellowed and faded, and I wouldn't dare put it in a machine. It'd probably break. But I still have that, and to me, that's where I go. That's my Bethel. That's where I go back when I look at that. And I'll never forget that night. He preached on the gospel according to Exodus. And boy, he drove that thing out up there, and I sat there with my mouth hanging open, and my eyes as big as pie plates, and I, I heard a man dissect that Bible and put things together and say things about this passage and this verse and show the typology and run it back and forth. I was just dumbfounded. I thought the Bible was just a book that you, you sat down and you read and it told you a great thing. He connected so many things together. He showed so many concepts. He laid that thing out. When I went out of that night, I said to myself, I am not going to rest the rest of my life till I know that Bible just like that. My life was changed. I knew I, it'd take me years. It, it took me plenty of years, and I still have a long way from it. But I knew that night I wasn't ever going back. I knew that night that that book had what I wanted like nothing else I'd ever seen in life. It took me a while to get there, but when I got there, it changed my life. And it'll have to happen in your life at some point. It's just that simple. My first advice to you today is don't let that life-changing day pass you by. 
or don't trade it in for something or somebody that the world wants to give you. And remember now, life is choices. Now, with that little short introduction, it was. <laughs> Let's look at this passage, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I, I think this is instructive. It opens up in verse 1, says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Now look at that. Right there is the goal for every child of God in this room, if not every child of God on the planet. It says, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon. Put your name in there. The son of David, the king of Israel. You see those two concepts? Right now, you and I are a son, our sonship. But there's coming a day that we're going to be a king. Remember, I gave you the wise men a couple of weeks ago, and the, and, the, and the second aspect was a wise man will inherit glory, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 35. Right now, you're a son, but there's coming a day you need to be a king. And it says, Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Right now, I'm in my sonship, but Christ is coming back, and there's coming a day that I want to reign with him, and I'm going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to be a king. If it's conditional, if we get and use God's wisdom down here right now. Now, you see, I already told you this in our breakdown of the book. God gave you and me Proverbs chapter 1 through 1 through 7 to make sure it would happen. It's all addressed to my son. It's all a personal inscription to you and to me as God's son. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it has to be my choice, just like it has to be your choice. Uh, just like God wants me to be wise, God wants you to be wise, God wanted his own son to be wise, but his son chose to be a fool, and some of God's people will choose to be foolish. Life is choices. Now, let's look at these 10 things that define not a wise man, but what wisdom is. The same 10 things that made Daniel and his boys 10 times better than the world and all it offered them will be the same 10 things that will make you 10 times smarter than what you've got to deal with on planet Earth. All right, let's look at verse 2 here. Uh, there's uh, one and two here are in the same verse. Uh, the book of Proverbs is for me as a son to know wisdom and instruction. He says in verse 2, to know wisdom. Now that indicates the ability one gets to draw judgment in moral or spiritual matters and to be able to discern spiritual issues. It's not just to have wisdom, but it's to recognize wisdom when you see it. It's not enough just to have wisdom. When you really have wisdom, then you have the ability to discern when somebody you're hanging out with is wise or it's a fool. Remember the things I gave you last week about a fool? A fool refuses instruction, a fool slanders, a fool backbites, a fool talks behind somebody's back. Those, when you have wisdom of God, you can find yourself in that situation and you can see that versus a man or a woman who edifies, who, who, who brings the best out and talks about the things that, that uh, will help a situation or help somebody and never hurt somebody. And that's what he's saying here. It's the ability to make a comparison. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 30, he compares godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And as a Christian, it should be very clear to you which is which. A worldly wisdom is the accumulation of man's tricks. It's the 
putting together of man's devices. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about there's, there's many devices in a man's heart. Uh, uh, that worldly wisdom is the accumulation of man's ability to set himself up and set himself independently of God. He'll do things against the Bible and yet claim God is part of it. He'll set himself up independently of God. Never follow the scriptures, but want everybody to believe that I'm following God. The wise man sees through that. The wise man has the ability to see and understand and recognize wisdom. And that's a key, crucial in your life that you get by understanding the book of Proverbs. Godly wisdom is the ability to see any situation, not as it appears. Boy, it's famous for that. There's a lot of situations we see that appear one way. But in reality, there's something else. And having, having to know wisdom is the ability to see those situations and understand what it really is through biblical principles. The second thing he says here is to know wisdom. Uh, excuse me, to know instruction. Now, to know instruction, this is the ability to see real wisdom in people and then recognizing it and learning from them. God will put people in your life that will, will teach you, that will instruct you. God will never put people in your life that will hurt you. God will never put people in your life that will slander other people. God will never put people in your life that are always talking negative about this and that. That's the world being put in your life. In fact, it's, it's so true. The devil will put people in your life to hurt you. Save people. God will put people in your life to edify you. And if what comes out of somebody's mouth is not edifying, then you know what you're dealing with. But life is choices, you see. You'll either continue to allow that in your life or you'll draw a line in the sand and you'll do what the wise man would do. And you learn uh, who to take instruction from. One of the greatest examples in my life in learning uh, uh, this was in learning how to build a church. Uh, God put two men in my life. God put two men in my life as a contrast. One was a wise man, probably the wisest man I ever met in my life. The other one was a fool. And I learned from both. One taught me how to do it. The other one taught me what not to do. But you see, they both were in my life as they're going to be in your life. You're not just going to go through life and just have wise people all around you. The devil's not going to let that happen. That would be great if he did. But he's going to, he's going to try to make life as confusing for you as he can. He's going to mix in foolish people with the wise people. He's going to put people in your life who are going to tear down everything that you try to do. He's going to put people in your life who are going to build up everything you try to do. He's going to put people in your life who edify you. He's going to put people in your life who are going to try to hurt you. You have to be smarter than the problem. And that's the situation I found myself in. One guy taught me everything biblical that was the way to build a church, and yet the whole world did not accept what he was teaching me. The other man had his own philosophy of how to build a church, and it was the accepted way of everything doing it, but it wasn't biblical. And you see, the Word of God, the, the wisdom of God, gave me the ability to learn from both, to take from both, to look at both. But it gave me the ability to know that one was right and the other one was wrong. One was the right instruction for me, the other one was the wrong instruction for me. 
And the Bible says that the wise wisdom is to know, uh, to know wisdom and to know instruction. You have to have the ability not only to know what wisdom is, but recognize it when you see it. Because there's people that are going to, on the outside, they're going to pretend they're wise. They're going to pretend they got all the answers. But when you look at inside, when you look where their kids are at on Sunday morning, when you look at all of the things in their inner life that just fall apart, when you look at all the excuses they make for all the failures that they had instead of just stepping up to the plate, those are the ones you want to stay away from. Those are the ones that you're going to find that uh, uh, are going to hurt you. And you have to not only know wisdom, you have to know to recognize wisdom. And when you recognize wisdom in somebody, then you know where you take instruction and where you don't. The third one, the book of Proverbs is for me to be able to perceive the words of understanding. This is verse 2 still. He says in verse 2 to perceive the words of understanding. Now that's perception. Percept- this is the ability. When you have perception or you can perceive something, this is the ability to grasp the words of Scripture. He says to perceive the words of understanding. And in the Bible, the Bible, the key to the Bible are the words of the Bible. You've heard me say it many, many times. The key to the Bible are the words of the Bible in which the Holy Spirit of God teaches us by. And when it comes to the Bible today, perception is a lost cause. It really is. The key to the Bible is about, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20 key words and, uh, when you, and, and phrases. And the Holy Spirit of God uses these words to open up the Bible. This line of thought and teaching, I'll tell you right now, 100% totally rejected. Uh, by uh, 99% of the churches and pastors and Bible colleges across the uh, country and the world, and, and hence they wind up with no Bible. It's the words that lead to understanding the Bible. And I've taught them to you before. We're certainly not going to have a lesson on it today. You've heard me talk about the day, that day and the day of the Lord, how every time you find it, it sets the context of the second coming of Christ. You've heard me talk about the term those days, and every time you find it, the context teaches you something about the tribulation. The word net, N-E-T, like internet, like catching fish in a net. Every time you find it, the context is going to be the tribulation. It'll be invaluable when you get back in the Psalms or back in Ezekiel or back in Isaiah and you find a story and then somebody's catching something in a net. It's invaluable setting up the context with things like that. The word rain. I've showed you how that the former rain and the latter rain all connected with the second coming of Christ. And when you find it in the Bible, the word rain, you know that it, it sets the context of God's judgment. You find the word deep. You find the word kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, or the phrase. We know all about that. The word clouds in the Bible, the word rainbow in the Bible, whirlwind in the Bible, fire in the Bible. Two of the greatest little words that teach you the word of God is as and like. The word brightness, the word the end, I don't care where you find it. I don't care where you find it. When you find the end, it's going to represent the second coming of Christ and the end of the tribulation period. We talk about the day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ. It's always the rapture when you find it. I told you before, the type, the perfect name, uh, the complete name for Jesus is the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of those means something. The Lord means something, Jesus means something, and Christ means something. So you take those three and then you wonder why they're broken up in the Bible. Sometimes it says Christ Jesus. Other times it says Jesus Christ. You don't think it makes a difference. It's telling you the context by how he uses those words. That's why you don't change words in the Bible. That's why words have to stay the way they are. That's why we use the King James Bible. And I'm telling you, the words 
are everything that you have to have. And when a, man, when a young man takes that kind of instruction and the world takes those things and tells you that those words are not important and then they bring in a whole system of terms that have nothing to do with the Bible. And when a young man follows that kind of instruction, he loses his Bible. He loses his Bible. And he's a fool. Now the fourth one. The book of Proverbs is given to me for the instruction of wisdom. Now these next four are dealing with things we get instructions on. And they're very important. Verse 3 says, receiving the instruction of wisdom. Now that implies uh, your attitude of heart toward learning from uh, other men and women God puts in your life. Uh, a wise man uh, and, and wise women. And in learning about God and the Bible, there are some instructions that you have to receive and you have to follow. God will put good people in your life and you have the ability now, because you have wisdom, to look at them and to decide if they're wise or they're foolish. That the instructions they're giving you are of God or of the world. You have the ability to use that, see? But there are some instructions and when somebody claims to be a Christian, somebody claims to be a pastor, claims to be whatever, and they don't follow the instructions, then you got problems. I already gave you one, Proverbs 13, 20. We've carped on that for a couple of weeks about a wise man should walk with wise men and a companion of fools will be destroyed. That's an instruction to you as a child, God's child. He instructs us in 2 Timothy 2, 22 to flee youthful lusts. He instructs us in that great verse, but to follow rather faith, charity, peace, and they that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, there's the people you're supposed to follow. People out of a pure heart. People that bring peace, not strife. People who bring peace, not slander. People who bring peace, not gossip. All of those things, he, those are instructions to you and me that a wise man will stay away from. He says in 2 Thessalonians 5.21 that we're instructed to prove all things. He says in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, that we're to mark those that cause division among us. That's instructions, you see. He says in 2 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray without ceasing. That's instructions. He says in Ephesians 6, 10, that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Those are instructions to us. He says in 2 Thessalonians 5, 18, that in everything give thanks. We're instructed to do that. He says in 2 Thessalonians 5.22 to abstain from all appearances of evil. We're instructed to do that. These are instructions. Proverbs chapter 5 uh, and 7 talk about to stay away from the strange woman and the evil man. And we'll talk about that when we get into those chapters. It'll revolutionize your life about uh, the women that you listen to and the men that you hang out with. But that'll be another day. Now, these are the, just some of the instructions of wisdom found in the Bible. When you learn and you follow them, you will be wise. When you forsake them, you're going to become a fool. <laughs> it's pretty simple. The wise man will receive their instruction and put them to work in his own life or her own life. The life of a wise man is built upon the instruction he gets from God through the Word of God and other wise men and other wise women that God puts in their life. Now, this is why, this is why when... Uh, you know, when you come into church and you, you begin to get your feet on the ground, that if you so desire, we put people with you, a woman if you're a woman, or a man if you're a man, to help you through discipleship, to help you through your marital issues, to help you through your personal issues, whatever it is. We're all on the same page. 
Uh, there have been times and times and times when, when uh, somebody's asked somebody, well, what should I do with this? And uh, that person says, well, this is what you need to do. And that person says, well, I'm going to go ask Bob. And they say, well, go ahead. But he's going to tell you the same thing that I did because what I just told you, I learned from him. See, everybody has to be on the same page. Now look at the fifth one. Proverbs for me is to receive the instruction of justice. Verse 3 says, to receive the instruction of justice. Now, that implies an ability to discern what's right and what's wrong. It implies that a man with God's wisdom or a woman with God's wisdom can draw the proper conclusion or judgment or come to the right end of an issue by seeing the principles involved and then dealing with them biblically. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, that he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Now, as a child of God, we don't judge people. But as a child of God, if you're spiritual, you judge the things people do. Not for them, but for your own life. I don't care what you do. Some of you can go out and drink, smoke, get high on whatever you want to get high on and do whatever you want to do. I wouldn't recommend that, and I don't think that's a good choice in life. But you know what? Seeing you do that, I'm not going to sit back here and judge you as a terrible person. But I am going to judge what you're doing as something that I don't want to be a part of. And every Christian has that right. There's been situations where, uh, uh, you know, uh, mean-spirited Christians have, have slandered other Christians, and you've been around it, and you've listened to it, and you have a choice at that point. You either go along with it and silence his consent, or you stand up and you simply say, you know what, I'm not judging you, but I know enough about the Bible that I don't want to be part of that, and gone, see? But that takes courage, but that's, that's, that takes wisdom, too. It takes wisdom, too. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, he tells the Christian to judge doubtful practices and situations. I don't ju- you know, we don't judge people, but when it comes to your life and what you do, the number one thing you have to have is your personal relationship with Christ. When you allow somebody in that's going to take from that, then you have to judge that action. You have to judge that action. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago to make two lists, and I, personal lists, and I hope that you did. One list, you put on all the wise men you knew in life, and the other one, you put on all the foolish people you knew in life. Then I told you that based on Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, that you to stay away from the fools and hang out with the wise men. Now, that's really easy to say. It really is. But for you to be able to do that, and most of you won't, I mean, let's just be honest, but for you to really be able to do that, you need to have real wisdom for this, to judge all things as they pertain to you. Receiving the instruction of wisdom is they have the ability to see the end result of a fool. That's all it is. When you understand, when you understand the instruction of justice, you know that there's going to be a day when some, we're all going to have to pay for what we do. And right now, you either get it right with God and judgment is stayed, or you continue to go in your godless circle of lifestyle, and someday, God's going to drop the hammer. It's a matter of fact. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. Now, the favorite thing of God's people today is to sow your wild oats and then get on your knees and pray for crop failure. But at the end of the day, wisdom of justice, under you understand that I'm not going to get part of that. I'm not going to be part of that because I know it's a dead-end street and I know where it's going to end. That's called smarter than the problem, see? That's called the ability that somebody that you 
wants to associate with you or you maybe want to associate with them. You see the foolish things in their life. You hear the ungodly things that they say. You, in the pretense of Christianity, you're out in the world. And you realize that where they're going is a dead-end street. Where they're going is going to wind up with God's judgment, and you simply choose not to be part of that. That's smarter than the problem. That's he that is spiritual judging all things. Keeping the wrong things, keeping the wrong people, keeping the wrong places out of your life, the negative impact that they'll have on your life. Now, it's a simple thing. Now, I don't know how much you know about electricity. I don't know anything about electricity, but I do know this. I know electricity like life. You want, to, you want to light your house? You want to turn the lights on? You want to cook dinner? You want to do all the things you do? It takes electricity. In life, everything that we want to do runs from a power source. Now, I'm telling you right now, if you look at electric cord or you look at electricity, you got a gnat what you got in life. You got one negative and you got one positive. Now, you go home this afternoon, don't try this at home, but you ought to go home this afternoon, unplug a wire, cut the plug off, scrape it back, and pull the wires way apart. One of them will be negative, one of them will be positive, just like life. Then plug it back in. Hold the wires apart. And then at some point, after you put on rubber gloves, rubber overshoes, and a lot of other things, don't ever do this in the bathtub. Once you do that, take the negative and the positive and put the two wires together. Now, do you know what it will do? It will blow your fuse. It may not kill you as you're insulated, but it will, it will pop, it will flash, it will bang, and your lights will go out. Now, my point is simple. In electricity, with a negative and a positive, when you put the two wires together and the negative and the positive come together, there's never a time that the positive wins. Did you hear what I just said? There's never a time that the positive wins. It isn't like, well, four times out of ten, my lights stay on. It isn't like, well, I put the negative and the positive together and the positive overrode the negative and my lights stayed on. Uh-uh. No. No way. Every time you take the positive and you match it with a negative, the negative wins. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a Christian, do you understand the analogy? You, uh, you put your life with negative people. I don't care how positive you try to be. You put yourself with negative people. You hang around with negative people. You take instruction from negative people. You learn from negative people. You listen to what they say. I don't care how positive you start out on Monday. By Friday, you're going to blow your fuse. Now, how simpler could it be? It's absolutely one of the most simple. Keeping the wrong things and the wrong people and the wrong places out of your life. Because of the negative impact on your life. And I'm telling you, man, when you cross negative and positive, positive always loses. And negative always wins. The only thing you can do to make sure your lights stay on, the only thing you can do to make sure you eat supper this afternoon or your air conditioner works, is to keep the negative and the positive away from each other. Number six, 
Though I would really like to preach on number five for a little longer. <laughs> number six. Proverbs gives to me the ability to receive the instruction of judgment. This is also verse three, to receive the instruction on judgment. Proverbs 28.5 says, evil men understand not judgment. But they that seek the Lord understand all things. Now, that's a great verse. You see that in the world. That's why they want to do away with capital punishment. That's why when 9-11 happened, <clears throat> when somebody gets up and says, well, 9-11 happened because America turned her back on God, well, you'll get burned at the stake for that today. That's because evil men don't understand judgment. Evil men don't understand that God always judged his nations with other nations. Always did. But they don't get that. But it's also true in a Christian world because you can find some pretty wicked Christians. And wicked Christians, they do things, they say things, they get involved in things, never considering the fact that there's coming a judgment someday. They're going to have to give an account for it. Or God's going to deal with them on it. And that's just the way that it is. That's just the way that it is. Simple little concept that I gave you in the Bible years ago about the three judgments that, you, that pertain to you and me. Now, we know that from the Bible, systematic theology, there are seven judgments in the Bible. Three of them pertain directly to you and me. And you've heard me talk about it before. Sinner, son, and servant. You're judged at the cross as a sinner. At some point, you get saved. And when you get saved, God no longer looks at you as a sinner. Now, you're his son. So in this life, after you're saved, he judges you and me as a father and a son relationship. But then there's coming servant. And at the judgment seat of Christ, God's not going to judge you for your sins. They were taking care of Calvary. God's not going to judge you for your sonship. He come down and whacked you here or you made it right. There he's going to judge you for your servantship. What you did with what he gave you. Sinner, son, and servant. But there's seven judgments in the Bible, but who knows about them today? Who even has a clue of what they are? You have the judgment of the nations in Matthew chapter 25. You have the judgment of angels in 1 Corinthians 6. You have the judgment of Israel throughout the whole tribulation period, and you have the judgment of unsaved dead, Revelation chapter 20. But who could even explain them today? You know why? Because wicked men don't understand judgment. They don't understand that there's a judgment coming of the lost, unsaved dead. They don't understand that the whole world that we're living today is, is forming up for the judgment of Israel in the tribulation period. They have no clue. Now, I got to say this. We talked about this last week. Sometimes as a son right now, the judgment of God, the chastisement of God falls on you and me. Can you take it? We talked about the great verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, how you're not to, you're not to despise when God chastens you, that he chastens every son. And most people, most God's people, they're ignorant of this because they're fools. They don't understand that receiving God's judgment as a son is just as important. I'm going to go one step farther and say just as good as receiving God's blessing because we need both in our life to be what God wants us to be. But we want the blessing, but we don't want the judgment. We don't want the chastisement. That's a fool. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7. I, I know, you know, I, I know that when you preach, anybody preaches, it's one of those things where not everybody loves what you say. And I don't know of any crowd, any place, anywhere at any time where you, any man would ever get up to preach that some people maybe don't say anything to him or say to anybody else, but they get mad at what the guy says. I mean, that's just human nature. You just know that going in. 
And, uh, you know, I, and this, this church is no different than any other. I don't think, and I, I know most of you love God, and most of you love the Word of God, and most of you want to do what's right, but come on. You couldn't get a group of people anywhere on this planet where everybody did. Uh, and it's just one of those things where it, it, it's just the what it is. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7, that a man that has wisdom, that a man or a woman who has understanding in these things and understands judgment, the Bible says the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, honeycomb being the Bible. But that him that is hungry, even the bitter things are sweet, you see? When you love God and you love the book, you know to receive that kind of judgment. You know that we need to be held accountable. You know that there's times that God has to come down and take us to the woodshed. You know that's for our good. You know it's for our best. And even though you may not like it, I may not like it, there isn't a time that God ever came down and whacked me that deep down in my heart, I didn't know I deserved it. And I loved him that he cared enough that he would do something. You know what's really scary? What's really scary is a child of God who lives their own life and does their own thing. God never comes down and deals with them. That's scary. We won't get into that today, but that's scary. That's scary. Well, let's look at number seven here, defining wisdom. Proverbs is given to me to have the ability to receive the instruction of equity. This is our fourth one. Fourth one in the instructions. Verse three. Now, the word equity is the word for balance in the Bible. And the word implies that a wise man has the ability to see when two things are in balance or when they're not. Proverbs 11:7 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, the greatest example of this that we can all identify with is, is found in this book. And uh, I say it again, a wise man hanging out with a foolish man, the reason why that's a problem, because that's out of balance. You see it again in, first, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, where it talks about uh, not eat, being unweakly yoked with believers with unbelievers because it's out of balance. Now, I told you last week, or maybe a week before last, that the first thing I learned in all my 63 years that I, I and I'm making a list, uh, have been for a while, of all the things that I've learned in 63 years that, that apply to life, me, and, and, and I just great solid principles, and, and I'm just putting my own list together. And the first thing I ever, I, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, the, and this is what I'm going to preach on down at uh, Turnaround. Uh, the first thing I ever learned uh, uh, that really solidly got into my brain is that life is choices. But the second thing that I learned in my 63 years is that everything in life has to have a balance. Everything in life has to have a balance. Everything in my life, everything in your life requires a balance. In life, an unbalanced checkbook, you know what you do? You write checks you can't cover. In an unbalanced life, you know what you do? You make bad choices and you make decisions that you can't possibly cover. And in both cases, it ends in a disaster. It's just that simple. Now, balance requires wisdom. And wisdom, if you're going to get it, requires self-discipline. Saying no when your flesh says yes. Fundamentally, the world system works 24-7, and unfortunately many Christians too, to make all things equal so that it requires no balance. That's why you got gay marriage today, no balance. That's why you got it in our educational system, no balance. That's why you got it within government, there's no balance. That's why you find it in churches and in religion, there's no balance. Everything is okay, you're okay, I'm okay. Doesn't matter what Bible you use, doesn't matter what you do here, doesn't matter what you do there, live your life however you want. 
But the Bible format is black and white. The Bible format is light versus darkness, contrast and comparison. That in all things in life, in all things in the Bible, in all things with God, in all things in your marriage, in your family, in every relationship, it has to have and requires a balance. How comfortable would it be if you went out and bought a, I don't even know what they cost, $190,000 Mercedes-Benz or a Rolls-Royce? You went out and bought a $190,000 car, went out and bought $600-piece tires and put them on that car, but all four tires were out of balance. How's your $190,000 car going to ride? And let me tell you something. Out of balance in your life will be a bumpy ride through life. I'm telling you. I hope you're writing these down. These will be in a book someday. These are incredible. <laughs> Number eight. Number eight. Book of Proverbs will give subtly to the simple. Verse four says to give subtly to the simple. Now that is what we call prudence or discretion, which usually comes only with experience of old age. We talk about a, a you know, a, a, an old man, the Bible says in Proverbs, it talks about a, that a young man has heat, but a young, and an old man has no heat, but he's got light. And the example there is that a young guy has the heat. He can play ball all day. He can work all day. He can run all day, but he doesn't have any light. He's stupid. Well, the old man can't play ball and do all the things, uh, but he's got light. He's got some wisdom. Wisdom comes from years, see? Wisdom comes from years from dealing with human nature. But in here, in Proverbs, it says that A young man, I mean, wisdom and, and subtlety and discretion and prudence usually comes with only, as I said, the experience of old age and the vast understanding you get from years in dealing with human nature. But here in our text, it's available to the young man, much like the majority of our church, what, 85, 90% probably from 20 to 35 years old. I mean, uh, I mean it's, it's, it's available to you. Now, you have, you, you, you hear me tell you this all the time when it talks about subtly to the simple. And I, I, I tell you this all the time and just in a different format. And you hear me say it all the time. And I talk to you, preaching, I've already used it several times today, but we use it all the time individually. Subtly to the simple is simply being smarter than the problem. It's, that's all it is. It's having the wisdom and instruction of balance in your life and, and, and be subtly in your life to, to be smarter than the problem. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 says, the Bible says we should be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. That's subtly. See? To be subtle is to have the ability to slip through any situation without being trapped by, uh, you know, by wicked men or wicked women. Ability to read between the lines and see what's coming before it ever gets to you. The ability to translate when somebody says something, to read between the lines and know that's not what they're really saying. See what's coming before it gets to you and then being able to sidestep it. It's the ability to be smarter than the people you deal with. That's wiser than serpents. But not in a sense to hurt them. That's harmless as doves. But in the sense to protect yourself and your own relationship with God. I want to tell you something right now. There are people who will set you up. There will people who will hurt you. There will people who have an agenda that has nothing to do with God that want you to be part of their agenda, and they will set you up, and if you're not smarter than the problem, you'll go right down the road with them. That's subtly to the simple. 
subtly to the simple. You're going to see it all in life. And I can tell when I say some of these things from the, just the little response. You've already been there, many of you, with some of these things. Well, number nine, the book of Proverbs will give the young men knowledge. Verse four. Now, the word knowledge implies that a wise man has a solid fund of information or facts, a warehouse or storehouse of truth that goes down like a deep well in his life. This process is laid out in Titus and Timothy, and I've given it to you before, where between the two, when Paul writes to them, he talks about a young man having sound doctrine in Titus 1.9. And sound doctrine leads to you developing a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. When, when your mind is based on sound doctrine, it'll produce 2 Timothy 1.13 sound words. And then when you take those sound words and you form them into sentences, Titus chapter 2, verse 8, and you communicate to people, it'll be sound speech. And when you put sound doctrine and it gives you a sound mind, which produces sound words, which produces sound speech, it'll always produce a sound faith. Titus chapter 1, verse 13. You see this in, in preaching and listening to preachers. If you got any depth at all to you. I, I can listen to a guy for five minutes and find out if the guy is just preaching a little sermonette or he's got any depth to him. You can't hide those things. I mean, uh, it's, it, you can, some of these guys, you, you can just, you, I mean, you can, when they're done, you can just scrape off the crust off the top and all it is is a bunch of crumbs. But some guys get up there and boy, when they preach, it's like, it's like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, it's, 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 there's depth to it. And the wise men will know where uh, he's out in the Bible, what, 85% of the time probably? And when you have that kind of recall in the Bible and you know your facts and you know your history and you know what you've got, you know what you're dealing with, you can take the wisdom that you have then and apply it to every issue in life in making the right choices or making the right decisions. You see, the book of Proverbs will give you, as a young man, that knowledge. It'll give it to you. It'll give you the depth that you're looking for. It'll be able to give you the ability to look at NBC or CBS or Fox News or listen to anybody out there or read a newspaper and listen to what somebody's saying about the world events or what's happening in this city or what's happening here or an isolated situation here. And you have the ability to read between the lines and know what's really going on. God will give you that. A young man needs to store it up. A young man needs to warehouse it. A young man needs to fatten his spiritual bank account. Well, the last one here. The last thing he says in verse 4 is the book of Proverbs will give discretion to the young man. Now, the last thing he gives us, the number 10 one, is that a wise man will get discretion. Now, the word discretion can be used a lot of different ways and making good or bad choices. I understand that. But fundamentally in the book of Proverbs, the word discretion for a wise man is simply means he has the ability to use correctly all the wisdom that God has given him. That's what it really means. It's final base floor. It means that you have the ability to use the information, the knowledge, the wisdom that you have. This is why Paul talks about in 
in, in 1 Timothy 3, 6, when he talks about ordaining somebody, he basically says, not a novice, not somebody that doesn't have any experience. Uh, you see it all the time with young Christians. And uh, they'll come to Thursday night Bible study. We'll talk about something that is one of those wow issues, you know. And first thing they do is go to work tomorrow, the next day and try to explain it to everybody. And they find out very quickly how everybody looks down like you're an idiot. And, I, you know, you can't explain something to somebody else until you thoroughly can defend it yourself. But that comes with, that comes with wisdom. That comes with discretion. You know, knowledge sometimes can be a very bad thing. Where knowledge in some cases can destroy you, discretion with knowledge will always preserve you. You want to remember that. Knowledge without discretion is like horsepower without a throttle. It's like jet propulsion without any stabilization. It's like heat without light. It's like religion without salvation. It's like power without the ability to use it. And when you get the wisdom of God, then through all the areas that God takes you, you make it to make you wise, you'll get the discretion to use that wisdom. And that's part of your spiritual growth. It comes to the place where when you, you learn to do that, not just by coming to church and sitting on Sunday morning and Thursday night and taking all your notes and going it down, but as we said earlier, taking what you take internally and then putting it out and giving it to others. Now, I want you to look at verse 5 and 6 in closing out here today. And uh, it says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Now, I'm going to give you in closing here the Bible definition of spiritual growth for all believers. You hear me talk a lot about that. And you're going to find that uh, you, the answer to why some Christians go on for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you know, and then suddenly um, start falling apart in their life and, and all the things that goes on is simply because at some point in their life they quit growing spiritually. They may not admit it. They may not want you to know it. But at the end of the day, when you deviate from the instructions of the Word of God and start doing your own thing, it's because you quit growing spiritually and now you're in charge of everything. When you get the wisdom of God in your life and you understand these 10 things that make you 10 times better than the world, uh, you're 99% above God's people right there. And that's my job. My job is to make you 10 times smarter. My job is to help you get to the place where you learn these things, show you how to put them in your life, show you how to use them in your life, show you how to walk through life being wiser than your enemies because you're ever going to, they're all going to be with you, both Christian and unsaved. You're going to be at no more understanding than all your teachers, and you're going to know more than the ancients. You know why? Because like Daniel and his boys standing there before that king when their diet, when their diet was the Word of God, ten times smarter than anything the world has to offer. Now, When you follow the admonition given by God to us as sons in chapter 1 through chapter 7, then you enter into a, a, a process uh, of continued spiritual growth. And here in verses 5 and 6 is that process of your spiritual growth the rest of your life. The first thing he says in verse 5 is a wise man will hear. First thing you need to realize in your spiritual growth that there'll never be a point where you don't have to keep on growing. 
There'll never be a point where you can get to your life and you can say, I got it all. I don't need any more. A lot of people get that point in their life. A lot of people get to the point where they think they know everything there is to know about the Bible and more now, and they don't need to learn anymore, and that's not true. That's a fool. If I've learned anything in life, I've learned that God's school is never out, and when it comes to the Bible, there are no experts, though a lot of people like to claim to be experts. And I told you before, there's no experts when it comes to the Word of God, really no experts in life, just students on different levels of learning when it comes to the Bible. If you're really growing and you're really moving along in the thing, the more you learn, the more you'll see that you need to learn. And because it's God and His eternal mind, you'll go after it with all your life, with all the passion to go after truth. So the first aspect of your spiritual growth is school's never out. A wise man will hear. He'll continue to listen. He takes all the things that we've talked about now. He, he listens to the right instruction he has a discernment to know what's right and wrong. He stays away from the negative things in life. I think we had a, you know, we've sold everything else back there. I see one of Kyle's T-shirts back there, King James 1611. Mike's back there, got, you know, chalking kids for Christ. I need to think we need to get some T-shirts that says, no negative people allowed. Wouldn't that be the great the next time you go up to somebody and they start yipping their mouth off about you or somebody else or something like that and they look down and see that T-shirt and you just smile? <laughs> we need to work on that. <clears throat> we need to work on that. The second thing he says here is a wise man will attain to wise counsel in verse 5. No need to hit it again. You simply will build your life around people who will make you better. Buy the T-shirt. No negative people allowed. The next thing, verse 6 also, a wise man will understand the Proverbs. Now, that's a good one. So in your continued spiritual growth, you continue to learn. You continue to hang out and learn from wise people. But you also spend the rest of your life in the book of Proverbs. I've probably been through a Proverbs, oh, I haven't counted them, I'd say at least 100 times in my 40-some years. And uh, I, I told you many, I think I told you many times, I told you when we started this study, if there's one book that I could have God give me total recall on, it would be the book of Proverbs. Because a wise man will understand the Proverbs. And when he sees what Proverbs really is, he'll then spend the rest of his life majoring in the Proverbs and applying them to all else in the Bible. The wisdom books of the Bible will become his foundation for which he works through all of the Scriptures and works through all of life. Then the next one, verse 6 again. A wise man will understand the interpretation. Now the interpretation here that he's talking about, we'll, we'll find out in the next one, is, is the words. Learning how the Bible is of no private interpretation, but through itself will lay out through the key words the interpretation of itself. You simply get into the book, find out the words, Find out what the words mean and let the Bible interpret itself, as 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says. He'll really see and understand the Scriptures when he gets this working in his life. The next thing, verse 6 again, is the wise man will, understood, uh, will, will understand uh, the words of wisdom and the dark sayings of the wise. Now, that's that fourth dimension I talked to you about several weeks ago. That's the depth of God, the dark sayings. 
getting down where the Bible goes way below the surface, getting down to that depth of God where you see the Word of God for what it really is in all areas of faith and practice, where you have the ability, once you have that, to look at any circumstance in life that may come your way and make the right value choice on it, understanding what a wise man and a wise, foolish person is, understanding, be able to recognize wisdom when you see it, instruction, take it from it, leave it when it's not good, all of those things. Learning how to go below the surface of the Bible to that spiritual world of the depth of the Word of God, which is called God's unsearchable riches. Now, the New Testament takes all of this. And when you as a person begin to understand now what wisdom is, we've defined it now, 10 things. Your goal in life ought to be 10 times smarter than a people around you when it, for God's glory. You ought to come to the place in your life where you want to be like Daniel and the boys, where you can go up against the world and you're 10 times smarter because of the wisdom that God gives you. Wisdom has to be maintenanced. Wisdom has to be continued. Wisdom has to be have installments made into it, which we've already seen your spiritual growth. But the New Testament lays it out like this. He says in several places, Mark chapter 4, verse 24, and Luke chapter 8, verse 18, he says this, To him that hath shall more be given. You do the work with the Bible. You do the work of getting that wisdom. You do the work of putting the things out of your life that need to get out, putting the things into your life that need to go in. And to him that hath shall more be given. But in both of those verses, the requirement for growth and this growth process is two things. In both passages, it says the wise man must take heed of what he hears and how he hears. That's on you. Who you hang out with and the counsel you take from them. You know, human beings, man has basically two choices in life. When a man gets saved, when a woman trusts Christ as their own personal Savior, what they have to look forward to is a bottomless book, an eternal book, a book that knows no beginning and no ending that is the eternal mind of God. When a person refuses God in God's Word and stays unsaved, that all they have to look forward to is a bottomless pit. You see, it's a bottomless book for the Christian, and it's a bottomless pit for the unsaved man. But even in the Christian that God gives you a bottomless book, you have to make a choice. Unfortunately, when you chose to get saved, God chose to give you the Holy Spirit of God but he didn't chose to open up the top of your head and give you all of the bottomless book because he knew human nature. He knew how frail we were and how easy we get pulled off task. So he put it together in such a way that if you're going to get what God wants you to get, if you want to have the most in your life that God wants you to have, you are going to have to do the instructions on what this book tells you to do. You can be saved and never go to the bottomless pit, but never get to the bottomless book. 
This is why people all the time, they struggle with things in their life. They, they, get, they, they, they come to the end of their life and they look back and there's one bad choice after the other and there's this and there's that. And they, they, they actually scratch their head and say, I don't know how this all happened. I don't know why my life is so miserable. And yet I'm telling you right now, you can look back to it and in two things, you can look back in your life and see who you hung out with and who you listened to. You'll either listen to God, the Word of God, and the church that God gives you, or you'll listen to people out there in the world or even in Christianity who hate church and hate God and hate everything about it. They will form. You will be who you hang out with. Whatever you allow in your life, whatever you allow to come into your life, whatever influences you allow yourself or instructions you take or the people you listen to, negative people. Remember, electricity is positive and negative, and positive, when you put them together, never wins. They will destroy you in everything that you do. The number one thing that will keep you from ever attaining what God wants you to do is simply the people you associate with. A wise man will make you wise. A fool will make you fool and destroy you. Positive and negative. You can never put them together and keep the lights on. Every head bowed and every eye closed. 